Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is not here today. But will be returning in the future. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccan. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. So, we're traveling abroad today, Matt. Yes. Through the Power of Imagination podcast and the mind. Really, it's the only traveling... uh outside of the United States that I've gotten to do in a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, you have been to other countries. I have, but not in a very, very long time. So through the magic of research and podcasting, we're going to take a trip today. Yes, a very strange trip, as we are wont to do on this show. Uh, Let's check in real quick with Mission Control. How are we doing, man? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Pretty good thumb. That was a that was a solid thumb. Yeah, it was. It was a solid thumb. Uh, we are taking a trip together, the three of us. Uh, that uh, is a weird thing. Maybe we'll reveal more about that in the future, right? By the time this podcast comes out, we may have completed our trip. I'm almost certain. Yeah, I'm almost certain we'll be arriving back here from New York. Oh wow, time is getting weird. What is the present? Now, I know. It's the moment uh, for those of us listening to this for the first time. Anyway, time, space, it's, it's a whole bag of badgers and, and a, messy, a, a messy colander of spaghetti. But today we're not dealing with time and space. We have been covering quite a few tech, science, or social-related topics and conspiracies in recent episodes. So This time, we're planning to explore something a little different, a bit grisly, magic, mania, murder. I want to apologize in advance for any mispronunciations because, Matt, neither you nor I speak uh, the languages that will occur in today's show. Very, very true. The languages that are spoken as we travel to Malaysia. 
Now, it is true that some of our fellow listeners actually live in Malaysia or have spent time there. Uh, we found that out when we did an earlier episode on the, uh, the oily man. Yes. Remember that? We had several people write in with specifics. Mm-hmm. Specific anecdotes of similar events. Uh, also, some helpful handy pronunciation guides. <laughs> yeah. So if you are listening, feel free to uh, to help us out. We always prefer a bit of illumination to the darkness that surrounds us in this chaotic universe. If you are familiar with Malaysian pop music, if you have a deep, deep knowledge of it, then you may notice the song that we played is Malaysian in origin. If you were a very ardent, knowledgeable fan of Malay music, you might have said, hey, that's Mona Fandi. Also known as, or born as, Nur Mazna Binti Ismail. And she was born in Kangar Perlis, or Perli, P-E-R-L-I-S. As a child, she was um, she was engaged in regular extracurricular events, you know, school dances. She uh, was a water ballet performer. And she became a mildly successful singer under the stage name Mona Fandi with an album called Diana One. It was released in 1987. And it should be noted that that was a self-produced uh, album and it was also uh, distributed by herself and her husband. That's right, right. Her husband who during courtship – Actually, met her because he said he was her biggest fan, Yeah, which is beautiful. And then he said, I want to help you attain the fame that you deserve. They had some limited success. Mona Fandi was for a long time best known for the song Ku Nanikan Lagu Ini. And that, that's, that's what we played a snippet of earlier. And it feels very late 80s. It feels very in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. She continued working toward that dream of fame. Uh, She had a few TV appearances, but her career wasn't taking off. And this is is something that happens to many, many people, right? Hollywood and the music industry, entertainment in general, is, is paved with broken dreams. Yeah, she clearly had the drive and, uh, you know, quite a bit of talent there, as you, as you heard in that mm-hmm. song. But there's so much luck that comes into a lot of the performance-based careers, just mm-hmm. with who you end up meeting, who ends up hearing your thing or seeing your thing. Right. Uh, who talks about you at what party. And no small amount of corruption. Oh, yeah. I just, I, when I see, this is very cynical and sad, but when I see... Uh, people become big stars, quote unquote, out of nowhere. I just assume that they are the product of a music industry campaign. And that's not a ding on their talent. That's just how this broken system functions. Exactly. So it's through no fault of her own, really, that Mona Fandi does not become an international Malaysian superstar in the world of pop music. It just didn't work out. And she found a different calling. She and her husband switched careers, they pivoted their focus, they began studying traditional medicinal practice, you know, healing through herbs, uh, meditation, seasonal rituals, that sort of stuff. And she seemed set to gently, quietly fade from the public consciousness and live out the remainder of her life quietly with her husband, oh, we should mention his name, Maud Ofandi Abdul Rahman. But all of this changed in 1993, when this relatively unknown, obscure former pop star was implicated in something much, much more serious. See, the the whole time she'd been claiming to, uh, you know, practice traditional medicine with her husband, she was actually engaging in a more sinister and dangerous form of magic. That's correct, Matt. Mona Fandi, you see, was a bomo, a sorcerer. She had just committed murder. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. For a time, Fandy and her husband had a fairly successful traditional, let's call it magical consulting business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this kind of profession, it really makes you have to search for you know, clients. So, I mean, in any profession, you're looking for someone else to use your service or buy your goods or anything like that. But in this case, because it is a little more, I don't know what you'd call it, of a boutique kind of thing, or a, that's not the right word. High end. It, it could, yeah, it could be high end, uh, especially if you're paying for services of a BOMO, um, a sorcerer to, you know, give you either fame or fortune or power or something like that. That's generally the reason that people seek out these types of sorcerers. And they were always looking for clients, you know, who were in the upper echelons of things. Sure, VIPs. And they found a few, at least according to the two of them, they found several high-end clients within uh, the government and a few other places. Mm, who wish to remain anonymous. That was a big thing with their service too. People weren't openly identified uh, as as clients because, you know, magic has always been a divisive thing in the modern day. Some people very much believe in traditional shamanistic practices. Other people eschew it entirely and prefer to live a more secular life. So especially in the world of politics, depending upon your constituency, yeah. it might be really cool that you uh, you engage in these practices or it may make you seem less credible to some voters. But either way, if you're using them for a darker purpose, 
um, you probably want to keep that hidden. Right. And Fandy and co found a big fish in the form of a state assemblyman from Batu Talam named Datuk Maslin Idris. Maslin was educated in the U.S., and he was thirsty. He was an ambitious politician from the ruling party, United Malays National Organization, or UMNO. He wanted the BOMO to provide services that would boost his political career. He wanted to be the chief minister and thought, you know, if we keep this quiet through the use of magic, we can, you know, we can make my career more auspicious. We can tilt the scales a bit, the scales of luck and corruption that are so common in the entertainment industry and in the world of politics. Just a little finger, uh, finger on a scale. Just swing the needle a bit. Just enough. So Mona Fandy did not work alone. Her husband, of course, we mentioned Afandi, worked with her. And they had an assistant named Jerami Hassan. So there are three people involved. And, and the, the assistant was a little bit younger than them. Yes, very important. Some You'll hear some reports that he was 31. You'll yeah. hear some reports that he was in his late 20s. And you'll also hear reports that he was maybe, uh, I, I don't know the correct term, but a little learning disabled or something to that effect. Right, that he had lower intelligence. Mm. That's a very important point too for this story. So Mona and her husband promised to help this politician, Maslan, by giving him a talisman consisting of a cane and spot me headgear. The headgear, they said, was supposedly owned once upon a time by former Indonesian President Sukarno, who was tremendously important in the history of Indonesia. He was involved with the struggle for independence, and he was the actual first president of Indonesia as an independent country. So a very powerful person. Kind of a George Washington figure. Yeah, and and they're saying that these talismans were owned by this powerful person, and if we give them to you, it's also going to imbue you with some powers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they convinced him. They said, not only will you be a more powerful and favored politician, you will be invincible yes. when you physically hold this object. Invincible. And, you know, to get that kind of power, if you truly believe it, um, could be incredible. And in return for this power, they demanded that Moslin pay them 2.5 million ringgit or RM. That's just the, the currency there in Malaysia mm-hmm. at the time. And that is equal to at least in 2001 dollars because that's the last time we saw it actually switched over. It was around 658,000 dollars. So that might vary a little bit because this is back in the early 90s, but that's a good ballpark, mm-hmm. right? So more than half a million dollars US. He paid them 500,000 ringgit as a deposit, and then he wanted to give them a guarantee so that they knew he wouldn't just vanish. Well, they probably demanded it. So he gave them 10 land titles to hold on to, and that would cover the remaining 2 million. That's an incredible amount of money and land to give to something that may or may not be true. You have to believe that uh, this politician believes so deeply in this that he was willing to give up all of that. And here's what happened next. They made an appointment for these cleansing rituals to be performed at the Fandi household. Maslan visited the couple's house in Uludong, Rab, for what was called a Mandi Bunga ceremony, a ritual flower bath. Maslan was told to lie on the ground face up. Mona placed flowers around him and on him ritualistically. She told Maslan to close his eyes and wait for the money to fall from the sky. He did close his eyes. But flowers uh, weren't the only thing that fell down upon him. Let's, yeah, let's stay in this moment for a second. What do you think he's expecting to happen? Uh, He's given them riches. He's given them land. All he's asking for in return is this ritual and this talisman and, uh, you know, he will be invincible. He'll be be ready to go. But that's not what happens. Instead, an axe falls down upon his neck and he is killed. 
he is decapitated. And decapitation is a gruesome, strange way to die. Studies show that the brain and the attached sensory organs are still functioning for some time. So decapitation is one of those few one of those few forms of death where you can be physically removed from the rest of your body and see your headless corpse on your way out. Yeah. But of course you'll you'll probably be in such shock and so panicked that you won't really calmly observe that. The assistant is the one, Drami Hassan is the one who is believed to have played the headsman and separated Muslim from his body. At least that's according to reports we've read and um, it came out in part of the trial that we're, we'll learn about here in mm-hmm. a moment. They didn't stop there though, did they, Matt? No. They then proceeded to dismember Maslan uh, fully. They cut him up into 18 different parts They also skinned part of Maslin's body and later on they discovered those 18 parts buried in a storeroom uh, underneath the ground near Mona's house in Penang. It was was underneath this uh, concrete slab essentially. Right. Uh, And another big thing here is that they didn't find all of him. There were parts of him missing. And no one knows what happened to those parts. But the rumors, of course, you could imagine, are that those parts were consumed. By the three people, or at the very least used in ritual. It's a bit strange uh, for the neighborhood hippie to engage in such behavior. But you see, Mona Fandy, her husband and their assistant, were not your friendly neighborhood herbalist. They were a different kind of BOMO. We'll examine this after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. 
term, BOMO, B-O-M-O-H. This term often gets mistranslated in the West. It's something that you and I have run into before, and people say, oh, BOMO means, you know, medicine man or the more offensive witch doctor, right? Yeah. However, at its heart, the term BOMO describes a shaman. Indonesian speakers often describe this profession with the term dukun, D-U-K-U-N. Bomo are mainly herbalists and healers. But the practice of magic is inseparable from these medicinal pursuits. Thus, a bomo is also a geomancer or at times a sorcerer. In Malaysian culture, most bomo are what we would call bomo puti, P-U-T-I-H, white bomo. This is the equivalent of the right-hand path in Western magic systems, someone who helps other people while also obeying the dictates of shamanic tradition and at the same time straddling the tenets of Islam because this is a heavily Muslim population. But that is not the path that uh, we'll continue to call her Mona Fandi uh, just for the ease of pronunciation on our end. That was not the path that she chose as well as her husband um, and the assistant. Um, she was instead a Bomo Hitam or Hitam or Black Bomo. Now that's a different, a different path here. The other path, the forbidden path, right? Um, who are going to be working with things like spirits that are not necessarily supposed to be interacted with. They will... Uh, look at the the laws that are put forth in whatever whatever religion is current or um, popular wherever this magic is being mm-hmm. uh, done. In this case, Islam, and they will see those laws as something that are not meant to be followed or are meant to be uh, flouted. Right. The idea being that working around these laws, these moral and magical and social laws, will allow you influence and power that would ordinarily be uh, out of your reach. Bomo Hitam, and that's H-I-T-A-M, are supposed to be the sorts of monsters you would see in horror movies. You know what I mean? Not in real life. To call someone Bomo Hitam would be very, very offensive because it's essentially the same thing as calling uh, a doctor or a a life-saving surgeon a a butcher or a serial killer. It's the opposite of what Bomo are supposed to be doing. However, that's what the Mona Fandi group appeared to be, at least in the media. When this story hit, it hit big. So they did this, ritualistically killed dismembered, probably used to some degree the body of Maslan and other rituals, and they might have gotten away with it. Maslan was not reported missing until July 2nd, 1993, after withdrawing 300,000 ringgit from a bank. And directly after the murder, Mona Fandi was reported to have gone on a shopping spree. She didn't just buy, you know, colorful clothing or jewelry or something. She went big. She bought a Mercedes-Benz. She bought a facelift. I didn't know you could just do that. You could just buy a facelift. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. And one of the most odd things here is the the timeline because it, it is reported that he went missing on July 2nd and it was immediately after he withdrew a large amount of money. He did not withdraw 500,000 ringgit, right? Like it was originally reported early on, uh-huh. or at least that was the deal, I guess. So he at least could withdraw 300000 assuming it was him that withdrew it on that day before he went missing, um, and then paid them. So he paid them money. Sure, yeah, just not all of it. Not long after Maslan's murder, the assistant, Jerami Hassan, was picked up for a drug offense. He was under the influence of these drugs, and this this country with harsh drug laws. While he was under the influence of these drugs and speaking with the police, he confessed to them that he had been involved in the murder of a politician, an up-and-coming politician. Now that, you know, that's one of those things where you're dealing with somebody who may not be, you know, of the highest intelligence, mm-hmm. who is also perhaps high on a substance, who is being pressed, you know, by, by an interrogator's, then he admits to, you know, these police officers that he had something to do with it. Mm. And it may not have held much sand 
if he hadn't had led them, like he is the person that actually led the police to where the body was buried. Under that concrete slab. Not long after, the couple was arrested, Fandy and her husband, because Hassan, you know, it was on her property. And then also Hassan openly said that they, they did this. They committed this murder together. And then the circus began. It was, in a way, it was, um, it, it was reminiscent of how American culture treats the infamous murderers and the depraved, right? They get a lot of attention. They're celebrities for a time. Mona Fandy, as a murder suspect, gained far more fame and celebrity and public recognition than she ever did as a pop singer. And if all she wanted to do was to be famous, this strikes me as one of those one of those infernal deals you hear about in folklore. Yeah. Right? Where the wording is very important. Make a sacrifice to me, says some powerful entity or spirit, and I shall give you that which you desire. And then they said, we will make these sacrifices. We will obey the, the rules of this ritual. Make me famous. Yeah. Make me famous. Carry it. They carry it out, and they sure as heck do get famous. It's strange. It's interesting when you think about it, right? Now, we don't have, we don't have any primary source for that kind of conversation, just like we don't have any source for what happened to the rest of Malzlan's body parts, nor do we have a source for what Mona and her husband and their assistant talked about or personally believed. And we also don't know exactly the circumstances, at least Maslin's side, of giving them all of this money for these things as well as giving them the land titles. Because there, we'll, we'll talk about it towards the end there, but it may have been something else going on entirely that didn't even occur in the trial. And that would, this, it would just be me speculating, but I think I have, I have a hypothesis. <laughs> I would love to hear this. I'm very curious. Let's, let's explore the trial. So in a way, in a very dark way, Mona Fandy finally gets her wish, and she seems to be enjoying this new uh, social position, uh, somewhere between fascinating and shunned and vilified, rightly so. Throughout the trial, Mona Fandy exhibits strange, incongruous behaviors. She is always cheerful. She's constantly smiling, mugging for the camera, posing for the press. She's dressing extravagantly with bright, colorful designs, uh, and she's got a new, a new banging outfit every day. Why then did did they murder this politician? We have a we have one guess from a, another Bomo, a self styled king of the Bomo, Ibrahim Matzin. And he said that Fandi and her associates used their shamanistic knowledge for evil because Fandi was consumed by the idea of, gain, of getting vengeance, because Fandi was consumed by the idea of revenge, that the politician Maslan had made and broken multiple promises. And she said, we will, we will have vengeance. We should also point out that Ibrahim Matzin is not the most ironclad source he gained the most notoriety in his home country and in the Western news for a series of rituals he conducted in an effort to help locate the missing Malaysian Airlines plane MH370, which we had talked about before. Mm -hmm. uh, he was not successful with this, but later he recanted on what he was saying because he – he apologized. He said, I'm no longer king of the Bomo. These rituals I was doing, I was just doing what they told me to do. Wow. And, he, and he said that some of the things he had, he had done, like using bamboo binoculars and a fish trap hook to help locate the aircraft, he said, you know, I was peering through these, but I didn't really see anything. Jeez. So he may not be the best source, uh, but he was also a Bomo. And he, so he being one of the most famous uh you know, he, he remarked on this trial. So here's what they found. And it's very strange. The dates are confusing. The court found that the murder occurred sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight on July 18th, 1993. That's weird. Yeah. Because they, you know, 
he was reported missing on the second of that month. So what happened? 16 days later, they think that's when he was killed. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up. This is where my hypothesis comes in. I think if he truly was missing from at least the second, we can maybe assume even the first or the last of the previous month because it you, you know generally takes that long to declare someone missing. And he took money out on the second. Mm-hmm. I think he must have been held captive there because mm-hmm. in in my mind, you don't, you know, have someone go missing the day that they pay you 300 uh, ringgit, then hang around at your house for several days, let's say 16 days in this case, then do a ritual well, with Maybe them? it was a multi-day ritual? Maybe. 16 days though? And if it's a multi-day ritual and then the way it's described in every report that I've seen of this, mm-hmm. it's that it was a very fast thing. He was having the, the flower petal ritual occurred and then he got his head chopped off. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, this seems like they were, they were holding him captive. I see. They were tried in court by a seven-person jury. This was before – trial by jury was abolished in the country. And the high court found all three of them guilty, sentenced them to death by hanging. And the legal representatives for Hassan, the assistant, argued that he couldn't essentially be tried as an adult due to his limited mental capacity. And that our source for these ideas about his cognitive difficulties do all come from that lawyer. So the trial goes on until 1995, at which point the high court finds all three defendants guilty and sentences them to death. The method of death is uh, hanging, hanging by the neck until dead. Yeah, and it feels old school. Like it's a British knot tied to basically a pole that's running above a floor that drops down. And Mona Fandy as well as her husband and their assistant, seemed to take the news in stride. This was bizarre. She did not stop smiling. She had a brave public face. She thanked the court and the Malaysian people immediately after the guilty verdict. Yep, that is true. And we know that they did exercise some emotion in the intervening time because they filed appeals. There was an appeal system here. So the sentence was not actually carried out for a number of years. Oh, yeah, for quite a while. They they continued through all of the possible appeals processes. Rich, of course you would do if your life was literally on the line. Yeah. In 1999, the court dismissed all their appeals, upheld the previous death sentence, and so it came to pass that November 2001, all three were hanged. A prison official said the the three people expressed zero remorse at the execution that took place in the early hours of the day. Yeah, and it, it says, you know, you'll see reports that say they met up with their families. They were allowed eight hours or so mm-hmm. to meet up with their families prior to being killed. You'll also find it reported that they ate KFC as a last meal. And then simultaneously, you'll see it reported that they chose not to eat a last meal. Right. And part of this, part of the divergent reporting here uh, comes about from muckraking journalism you yeah. know, or sensationalism, I guess. I would sure. Say. Well, and there's also the problem of translation and mm-hmm. it occurring so long ago, right before the internet was so available, you know, with so many sources. This leads us to one thing that has been reported in multiple sources and is chilling. So Mona Fandy seems calm. Perhaps she has resigned herself to this grisly end, or perhaps she knows something, or thinks she knows something, that other people do not. During her execution, while she was calm and smiling under her hood, she uttered her final words, Aku takan mati. In English, that means, I will never die. Spooky stuff. Certainly. And uh, in a way, she's right. We played you that music of her voice. It's still around. She didn't fully die. Her corporeal body is gone, but Mm -hmm. she lives on. 
Let's play another clip from that song and see if your experience of this music changes knowing what you know now. there's one thing for certain. As we mentioned before, parts of this politician Moslin's body were never found. We will never know exactly what was done with those because the only people who do know are now in their graves. True. This case also led for national calls to outlaw witchcraft. That's a difficult thing to enforce. What is, how do we define witchcraft, right? How do we separate that from traditional religious beliefs? It was, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a strange thing. It's always going to be a strange thing, I think. Very blurry line. Yeah. Right? We also know that this was one of the last jury trials in Malaysia mm-hmm. because it, they stopped using jury trials by jury. Yep. It also led to a controversial film loosely based on these events film called Dukan, which, as you'll recall, is the earlier cited Indonesian word describing a bomo. The film was completed, I think, around 2006, mm-hmm. and it was banned from release for 11 years be- yeah. because of the controversy surrounding it. And then Facebook leaked it. Somebody on Facebook leaked the entire movie. In 2018? Mm-hmm. That's how it got out? Yeah. Ah. And then it w- after it got out, after the, the demons were out of Pandora's jar, the film went on to, to be quite successful. Yeah, yeah. They decided, well, I guess we can release this. And, you know, it is base. It's, you said loosely based, like so loosely based. But it is about a Bomo Hitam of sorts doing some pretty intense things, including, you know, a murder. But this time it's, spoiler alert, with a sword. <laughs> right. Dukan is probably best described as a... Uh, a legal thriller slash horror, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Very... The trailer looks cool. The trailer does look cool. So at this point, we run into a a couple of questions, and these are questions that we would like to give to you. We want to hear your take on this. First, what do you think about the practice – this goes back to our idea of the serial killer merchandise people. What do you think about the practice of making films based on these events and profiting from them? Is it ethical? Is it is it a big deal, not a big deal? And what do you think about this, this strange, sordid, grisly tale? Was there actual magic involved or was this all just window dressing – uh, so much ornamentation for a human, all too real, all too mundane con job and murder. Yeah, and also why? Why do you think, even after they got paid, that they decided to kill this person? That is perplexing to me. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that if what they are saying is true and their story checks out, they could have bilked him for so much more money if he was willing to pay that much to them. And what if it was a case of accident? What if Hassan was meant to, like, ritualistically descend the axe and then in some way avoid harming the guy so that he Mm. believes he's invulnerable? I mean, that's what you would do in a con job, right? Ooh, or, yeah, dude, you're so right. And maybe he just actually did it. Or what if they all really believed it? Or what if they all really believed it? Whoa. So what do you think? Uh, one, of, one of the fascinating things about this sort of story is that there are multiple stories or in recent years concerning this sort of interaction between magic and true crime. You know, we've heard of um, – I don't know if we ever did a full episode on this. We've heard of the practice in some countries of abducting and dismembering people suffering from albinism, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to hear your stories Is there anything like this that's occurred in your country or your part of the world? The U.S. is not 
immune to this, by the way. True Detective Season 1, the HBO series, is based on a very real, uh, very real satanic conspiracy that occurred in a church in the South. It's, yeah. it's a true story, and Nick Pizzolatto did base a lot of True Detective on it, no matter what he said at the beginning. Yeah, and, and you know, except for that whole whole part with the, I don't know, multidimensional monster guy, like whatever he was. Who knows about that? The King in Yellow? Yeah. That dude, I still want him to explain to me the shot in the last episode of season one. Uh, he, well, I'll, maybe I'll just talk to him about it. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who may have not seen the entire thing. Spoiler warning. After this moment, there are spoilers. Three, two, one. So the the shot where they're trying to follow him down this maze, do you remember at the very end, the climax essentially, mm-hmm. they're following the Yellow King through his essentially portal into this other world that he's created and his underworld. To the old, the old, uh, what seemed ostensibly to be a pirate fort or something. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And then I believe one of, one or both of the detectives look up at the ceiling. I'm just going to, I'm looking at Paul to see if he remembers this. And it becomes a shot of basically the universe or the galaxies or something. An where, unfamiliar night sky. Yeah, but they're inside, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a location somewhere, and they're looking up and seeing this, and it gives you this feeling of maybe this is a multi-dimensional situation. Maybe they went through some kind of portal to get somewhere else. I don't understand what's happening, and then they fight with this guy who uh-huh. seems to have superhuman powers, and then it's over. Uh, this is okay. This is interesting. This uh, may be a bit of a tangent, but it is established during the show that Rust Cole the one who sees, glimpses this other universe, uh, suffers from or leverages at least hallucinations, uh, visions, right? Yeah. So he's already prone to doing that kind of thing. I read a very interesting theory that I do not completely agree with, which is that the Yellow King is, the King in Yellow is some sort of non-corporeal entity and that by killing the scarred man, the spaghetti face guy, uh, Russ Cole, when he sees this multidimensional thing just before, he opens, he, he essentially becomes possessed by this entity. And that's why at the very end, when Woody Harrelson's character is talking to him and wants to tell him more about, you know, what's going to happen yeah. and, and, you know, new leads they can follow, uh, that's why Cole immediately dismisses it and is calm and serene as they get wheeled out. I don't think that's true. I think it is really cool, and I love a dose of cosmic horror. Me too. I was so excited when it happened, and I thought we were going to get gonna a, little more, a little more something or, or uh, at least an extra piece of it, like confirming – Well, confirming at least that it was mystical in some way. Mm. But then it was just like, ah, well, all, all's good. See, see you later. Let's get out of this hospital. Right, right. And I have I, I have sort of my own origin story about the cult that I would love to uh, talk, talk with you guys with maybe over a beer or something. We can have an episode of Beers Where It Gets Crazy. Yeah, Beers Where It Gets Crazy. And can we write a prequel? Why not? Where it's, it's you and me and Paul and Noel and everybody else listening. We're all just trying to find out who the orange duke is. <laughs> let's give it a shot let's give it a shot and we can just send it to nick pizzolato as a um as a fan piece let's do it all right so let us know if you have some ideas for our true detective prequel or if you have a role you would like to play uh, as always we're on the lookout for bad guys and let us know of course what you think about the intersection between magic and true crime you can tell us about this on Instagram you can tell us about this on Facebook shout out to our Facebook group here's where it gets crazy our excellent moderators our top notch memes uh, and a place where you can hang out with your fellow listeners Uh, you can also call us directly if you would prefer to stay off the digital grid yes our number is 1-833-STDWYTK and everyone, I'm here to report that there are officially 300 plus unheard messages right now because there are so many coming through. Send me the. Do you uh, hear me? 300 <laughs> plus. And they're ranging between a minute and three minutes right now. That is a lot of tape. 
mm-hmm. uh, and but we're going to get through it. Keep sending them to us. Um, we're just we're just going to keep trucking. It's, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this off air. We should we should make a thing of it. We should like make a day. Let's let's go uh, grab a. Uh, some popcorn or some snacks or something, and then we'll just play through them. What do you think? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Or, or we should just do – we should make an episode. <laughs> Seriously, an uh-huh. episode where it's just us in a room playing the messages and reacting in real time to them, never, think, never hearing them before. Do you think people would listen to that? I think so because there's that <laughs> element of, oh, I don't know what's coming next, and I we might, won't know either. I might be on the show say some of our listeners right yeah all right let's give it a shot i'm sold uh in the meantime speaking of episode ideas you can always let us know what you think your fellow listeners will enjoy you are the most important part of this show we want to be easy to reach we want to be easy to talk to and if you hate social media you like me are terrified of the idea of having to be on the phone or touch one uh, you can email us directly we are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com.